Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sour and Sass. I am very excited today to be joined by the CMO of Kazoo, Casey Carey. Welcome to the show, Casey. Garrett, thank you. So happy to be here. Man, we're excited to have you. This is uh, this is going to be exciting. You've got quite the um, career path, and I wanted to start there, if you're okay with it, and ask you, what's the easiest part of being acquired? Like, you were at the, an ad kind of to ad tech company, you get acquired by Google, you're at Marketo, you get acquired by Adobe, or you've been through this multiple times. What's the actual, everyone asks what the hardest part is. We can get to that. What's the easiest part? Like what's the part that is like actually good for you on the other end? Is there any part that's good for you? Like, <laughs> It's actually a really great question, right? Like, um, so I think I use the analogy of Legos. So we're all, okay. we're all playing with our Legos. We're building towers. We're really happy with kind of the status quo. And then somebody comes in, breaks our tower and steals our Legos. And, and our first reaction is not not happy, right? We're, and that's my Legos, right? We're like toddlers and we go grab it, like my Legos, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, the, the metaphor really is about um, with change comes opportunity. And it's really about your mindset and that change. And, and ultimately, learning a life lesson of to get more, you actually have to give up some of the things you have. Um, you have to create space um, yeah. for the future. And a lot of times we get stuck holding on to the past and so really like it's not to kind of to your question it's not easy it's hard um but it's actually the thing that makes acquisition or change like so awesome it's because you have to really rebuild and think through what if we didn't even build it with legos right because i think that's the other part you get is a lot of times when we like the way i like to think about original thinking and i'm sure an acquisition causes this is most people say, hey, what could I do with the resources I have? Yep. And I think the best way to think about solving any problem is what could I do if I could do anything? Yep. And I think an acquisition almost forces this like change majeure of like moment of where you have to start really reevaluating because now there's a new strategy, right? At the end of the yep. day, you built a marketing strategy to get to this moment. And now there's a new strategy to get to the next moment, right? Yep. Yeah. And I think if you think about most acquisitions, the investment thesis is one plus one is more than two, right? Um, yeah, so yeah. to your point, like, what are the new things I have access to? How do I need to think differently about what we've done in the past? And, and ultimately set your sights significantly higher um, than you have. I love that. Now it is sour and sass, my friend. Are you oh, ready? That's right. Got it. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Okay, now Google and Adobe are big. Okay, let's just call a spade a spade. Those are big companies. Is there a difference between the two on how big they are? Like, can the big be even bigger and like even more different? You know what I mean? Like, I've never asked somebody yeah. that. But like, they're both big. Is there still a difference in size? Um, I don't think so because at the end of the day, like the area that you work in, oh, yeah. I know, it's so sour. The, the good news is it's like 30 seconds. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, the area you work in is kind of a subset of the bigger company, right? So you think about Google, I don't know, there are 120,000 employees now or something. Um, like the groups that I worked within, you know, it's a big part of the business. Like we were almost $3 billion in revenue. Um, of course I, I mean, you were in the ad department. So I mean, you yeah, were you know, probably a thousand, 2000 people, right? 
um, wow. kind of within that part of the business. So it's almost like, you know, businesses within businesses for the most part. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, you kind of get to the point where, you know, it would be similar to going to, you know, a Marquette or Adobe or somebody who's a couple thousand person company. Yeah. That's very interesting to think about in that regard, because, you know, I think for a lot of people, they kind of do this either big or kind of small thing. And so as someone who's done both, what's your best advice for someone going from a small company? Like, what do you wish someone told you before you walked in the doors for the first time at Google? Like, what do you wish you knew now looking back at it? Um, I, I think Google's a special case, honestly. Um, but, but I think there's similar types of companies out there, right? And so there's, there's a couple really aha moments when I went to Google. Um, one was the culture. Um, like we all talk about culture. We proud of our culture. We champion our culture, but it's significantly different at Google. Um, like it is, it's amazing that you can have a company that big and have that consistent, that strong culture to the point where if you're not Googly, like you stand out like a sore thumb. Um, really? Yeah. They hire for it. They promote it. They fire it. Like it's part of what they do. Right. And so wow. really, what, just, think like, is that? what is that difference though? What is the thing that makes a Googly different than you when you walk in the door that first moment? What's that? What's the biggest thing if you had to boil it down to one item? Yeah, it's, um, I would say the one thing is the collaborative nature of work um, really? at, at a company like Google, which is surprising, right? You think about yeah. these big companies being extremely bureaucratic and hierarchical yeah. and all those types of things. Um, Google is extremely networked. Like it's all about working horizontally up, down and across. Um, really? And, and it's, how they, it's how they are so productive and, and accomplish so much so fast um, because well, we could say that how do they do it though how do they make everybody feel collaborative is there like a secret sauce to that because we all want to be collaborative and i think yeah. we all at the end of the day go hey my legos right yeah. so how, how do they keep everybody feeling like it's our legos and we're sharing the legos and the legos are better when shared together like it sounds yeah. good on a speech when i get in front of the whole company it's a little yeah. harder to execute so what's the big thing there i would say it comes down to one thing and it's it's a really simple concept right it's a it's an infinite mindset Right. A finite mindset is it's a zero goes for me. There's zero right. gain. There's winners and losers. Like an infinite mindset is the potential's unlimited. And I can actually get and achieve more if I work with more. And and really people, like I said, hiring for that, reinforcing it. If you don't have it, firing it, like promoting it, like all that stuff, right? So over time, like it's it's just how you do business, right? It's it it's core to the fabric. Yep. Another career question for you, because I I looked at it and I thought I actually really respected this part of your career, and I was I thought it was interesting is that you were a CMO at a little company, yep. and you took a title hit to go to a big company, and now you're at let's say a mid-sized company, you know, just all in comparison, and you're you're back to having that title. Why were you okay with that? Because I, I would do something similar if I was a professional executive. I would go through a similar path. I know I would because I think it's very wise. I just don't ever see people seem to do it for some reason. Yeah. Like they kind of just get married to this idea of being a CMO, but then they're the CMO of the world's smallest kingdom instead of <laughs> learning how to develop your experience and your breadth of knowledge and expertise so that one day when that <laughs> upper mid-market company comes knocking, you can say, look what I learned from Google, what I learned from Adobe, and I'm ready to help you become Google to become Adobe 
I thought it was really smart. How did you develop and kind of design that? And you're like, cause it's not accidental, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it kind of goes back to a couple of things we talked about, right? Like the first is, you know, giving up something to get more, right? So you're right. Title hit. Um, fortunately, compensation was great. Um, but uh, title hit response. I went into Google as an individual contributor. Um, director that level. takes an ego swallowing, right? I mean, there's got to be a moment where you're like, I'm no longer the king, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I'm just another peg in the in the board, right? Like, uh, so yeah, I went into Google as an individual contributor. Um, but I, like I said, I saw the potential of what I could achieve, right? And I didn't need to get that on day one because I didn't deserve it, frankly. Um, like I, I was going to have to earn it um, and show that I could do it, right? So having confidence in myself and seeing the opportunity and, and frankly, like titles are titles, like yeah. <laughs> to your point, like being a big fish in a small pond, like, okay, like people love that. It's important to them. Um, my son made an interesting comment uh, a couple weeks ago that I never really thought about. Um, he's like, yeah, I noticed when you introduce yourself to people, you just say you do marketing um, yeah. where other people will be like, oh, I'm the CMO and blah, 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 blah. Right. And it's like, it's like, yeah, that's not important to me. Like I, I do marketing. It's kind of what I do. <laughs> I run a marketing agency. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. it's the same. Like, Hey, I just, yeah. I love, I love that perspective though. Cause it keeps, I think the horror, the core of what we do is we are, we do marketing, right? Like <laughs> it's not that I do CMO marketing, right? I do marketing. And exactly. you know, I, lo- I love that. Um, going over to kazoo for a second, looking at your website, I was kind of trying to kind of put myself in your shoes to understand a little bit of the strategy. And you're doing something that I'm not seeing that many people do anymore. Something I used to do and I don't do anymore, mostly due to my positioning, but industry content. Yep. I know it seems like totally random, but industry content used to be this big thing, right? Everybody yep. had in their menu, here's the industries we serve. And now most of us are removing it because we're trying to create maybe more persona-driven narratives yep. through roles and we're finding more scale that way than we are niching industries. So very simply put, do industry content work? Why do you have it? What do you want it to do? Are you moving away from it? Are you doubling down on it? Kind of what's your take on industry pages and content and kind of positioning yourself into these industries? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's interesting, right? Like, I think part of the reason we shied away from it is it's hard, right? Like, it's hard to scale. And then you need a lot more content or else you're yeah. kind of faking it and no one believes you anyway, right? No one believes you. And ideally, it's through the whole experience, right? Like your SDRs and your AEs and your CS team are industry-oriented, right? So that's the ideal world, right? Um, subject but, matter experts, yeah. Yeah, but marketing's tip of the spear, right? So you know, at the end of the day, our job is to connect with potential buyers in a way that's meaningful and relevant to them, right? And so we made it a conscious decision and it's a both and with personas, but, you know, we, we're in, I like to joke, we're focused on 18 verticals, um, an oxymoron. <laughs> but if you really look at it, um, yeah. there's five that really matter, right? It's software yeah. tech, it's ad agencies, it's uh, financial services, it's pharma and healthcare centers. Like, yep. So um, it's not that hard to put more relevant, meaningful content in front of those audiences. And part of it is our, our campaign strategy. Um, so we created a foundational segmentation that's ICP and intent data 
predicting buying stage. And so we have that foundational, but on top of that, then we overlay micro segments. So we may have, you know, an ad agency micro segment. We have a credit union micro segment. Um, we're part of the Vista equity portfolio. We actually have a portfolio segment where we're targeting the companies that are in our portfolio. And so we use portfolio language when we talk to them. Um, right. So tough to scale, but I think for the ones that really matter, um, you can put the time and effort into it and the performance is, is there, frankly. No, I, I love that. And, you know, at a high level strategy wise, right, you're in this kind of space that's very interesting, right? From what I can tell of your space, right, I, I'm a customer of Lattice um, yep. and I, I'm, I know the space, right? I've been playing with it. I've either I've worked with people in it. Everybody wants to be everything, yet it's hard for you to stay as something at the same time. How do yep. you balance that as a CMO, right? Where we all start as a product and then every SaaS company tries to become a platform, because it creates increasing marginal return and they're trying to grow, grow share of wallet with their existing customer base and having better margins, right? Like that's what we do as companies. So we start the product, we become a platform and the CMO has to figure out how to integrate all these acquisitions and disparate buying centers and make it seem like it makes perfect sense. Where are you at with that, man? Like I'm like looking at this thing and I'm like, this isn't that easy of a job for Casey because they were this product and I can see what they were and I can also see what they're trying to become. How do you convince people that you're already what you're trying to become so they give you their money? Yeah. How does that, how does that work in your mind? Yeah. Um, really astute observation. And you're right. Like that's the natural maturity curve of a, of a category, right? Um, yeah. And then eventually we either win and become big or we get bought. Like that's that's the normal life. Um, yeah. So I think about it this way. The, it's going to happen naturally anyway. And we kind of see everybody comes at it from a different center of gravity, right? Um, yeah. So Lattice comes out from performance management. We're kind of coming at it from recognition rewards. Culture Amp will come at it from engagement yeah. surveys, right? So yeah. we're kind of all going to the same place. So strategically, it's almost a forced choice. Like you're going to have to do it um, because yeah. you're not going to survive as a point solution um, long term. Yeah. So really, to your question, like, how do you navigate that change? Um, we actually had <laughs> some pretty good debates over, hey, somebody wants to buy performance management, but we're selling them an experience platform, right? Is there kind of cognitive dissonance in that messaging and how we position ourselves? Um, so we really take the approach of let's sell the big vision up front and yeah. then let's go deep on what you care about today. So mm -hmm. a little bit of a land and expand. And yep. then, you know, over time, like we've already set the stage that we can actually now come in and on kind of a cross-sell conversation or or kind of build out the share of wallet within that account. So we really That's always, how you do that, right? Because you separate your pricing. I can see yeah. you have your legacy kind of individual product pricing, and then kind of this like platform pricing, right? And yeah. so I think that's kind of a part of what you're trying to do, right? It's like, hey, you, we can still be what we were, but here's yeah. also what we're becoming. And you can choose if you want to partner with us for multiple use cases or the singular use case that we used to be known for, right? Yeah, but always, always laying the groundwork for the big picture, always, right? I love that, Casey. Now, I think there's another part of this I'd just love to hear your perspective on because I'm actually genuinely curious about it. So and I guess this shows you how nerdy I am with SaaS, but CultureAmp is going this very soft, I'll, I'll back up one second. The people ops space has two different humans, the technical people ops leader and the fuzzy people ops leader. Lattice says we're for the technical 
people ops leader. Here's the impact our software has on all these different KPIs. And they almost write it to developers, it feels like. It's like the developer of people ops, right? And then ramp is like, we just want to give everybody a hug, right? Like, can't we just be friends? Like, why does business have to be so damn difficult, right? So like, when you all are internal and you're like doing this, watching this all go down and you're like, and you're thinking about how do we want our brand to be felt? Not just how do we want to, you know, market ourselves, but how do we want to be felt? How, how do you think about that? Because I do see like the yin and the yang going on in your space. I'm curious kind of what your take is on that. Yeah, I think um, so. we're really focused on this notion of people first. Um, if you think about, and there's a bit of a tectonic shift that's happening and it's, it's just not in people ops, like it's more broadly and that's a decentralization of work, yeah. right? decision-making, um, locations, like you can go down kind of all the attributes and work is being decentralized. And so yeah. kind of this old model of H, it's an HR thing, HR is driving performance management, HR is driving recognition rewards, uh, HR is driving the engagement surveys, right? To a model where it's like, hey, this is actually about people, leaders and people. Yeah, and people who managers, what if we yeah. empower managers? What if every manager could do this? You'd have a smaller HR department, more intimate relationships, less mistakes, yeah. right? Exactly, right. So HR becomes more of a Sherpa um, yep. rather than the owner. And you really kind of push this down into the organization. So, you know, we, we think like HR was more about compliance, benefits, and administration. The future is people tech, right? It's not HR tech. It's actually people yeah. tech, right? And so really thinking about that employee experience and how the role of the manager and to some degree, the role of the individual in owning their own destiny, right. Um, and giving yeah. them the tools to do that. So for us, it's, you know, it's a little less about, I think like the, the analytics part of, of your statement and we still care about outcomes like, you know, but, but our primary outcome is more engaged workforce. Right. Yeah. And you think about engagement as being, discretionary effort, connected to the mission and purpose, feel like yeah, I'm valued, yes. like you can kind of go down the list of drivers that create engagement, but nobody's going to argue that a more engaged workforce is a bad idea. Yeah, no, I love that. So it's just a clever way. And I wanted to kind of ask you because I thought it was just interesting. Now I'm going for round two, baby. Now I'm going to warn you. Round two of the sour candy is worse than round one. Okay. I've got okay. the, uh, I'm going blue raspberry. All right. I'm doing double. I'm really just, I'm all in on it. You'd be like foaming at the mouth. No, I was like, my goal as an interviewer is just make sure I can't talk. No, um, the 25 cents in your pricing. What the hell are you doing, Casey? What are we doing here? We got 25 cents on our pricing. Is that, why, how do we get to 25 cents? Is that because the finance, finance guy was like, look how much more EBITDA we'll make at 25 cents. Is that because the marketing guy or gal was like, 25 cents, that'll shock them. Like, how do we get on 25? Is that 99? Is that 75? It's 25. How do we land on 25? <laughs> so, yeah, there's actually an interesting backstory on that. All right, I want to hear it. I knew it had to be. There's no way you just got 25 cents on your website on accident. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I actually worked on our pricing curves, set all the tiers. Um, I'm a very visual person. So I want to see like charts and graphs and have nice smooth lines and all those types of things. And then our CFO got a hold of it. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> and made the adjustments uh, yep. to like the exact breakpoints, and that's how we ended up there. I knew it. 
you know why I like it though? So we have a thing here at Directive where I believe that a marketing mantra can unify a department and help align decision making. So we like yeah. to say everything, every marketing decision we make at Directive should be shockingly memorable, financially validated, and strategically aligned. And then we kind of define each of those. So like fan, uh, shockingly memorable is like in a world of display ads, if we showed someone an ad, would we cut through the noise? Okay, cool. Now all of a sudden all my creative starts to have an impact. We might say um, financially validated is essentially if we launch a campaign as an LTV CAC of at least two, do we feel confident we could optimize to three? Yeah. Or we might say strategic line. If we doubled our rates in the next 36 months, would this campaign still be relevant? And that's how we kind of define things. Well, I just thought the shockingly memorable part, that's why I loved it because I thought the 25 cents stood out. Yeah. And I just think anytime we can do things that are memorable in our marketing and especially in our copywriting, I think it works. What's your yeah. take on that? Do you think being shockingly memorable matters? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I will admit, I wish we would do it more often, frankly. You know, and, and, and to some degree, the kazoo brand personality gives us permission to be that. I was going to um, say you're kazoo. I mean, I would have yeah. so much fun with that, right, to a certain extent. Yeah, we're an entertainer brand start, uh, archetype, so we should have fun with that. And we do some in some of our copy, particularly our content, but we could do more with it, frankly. But um, I, I think there's a couple points here. One is often as B2B marketers, we get lazy, um, yeah, particularly around creative and messaging. Like, yeah. it's just all the same. Yeah, uh, let's hit it with the ebook, baby. Here we go. Like, let's, you know, I kind of. I, I completely agree. And I actually have a solution on this, Casey, of something I've been doing because I work directly with our creative team on a lot of my own internal initiatives because when I do a presentation, I work with them. And I'm also, we did a rebrand and I spent a lot of time with the creative team. I love it. I like to think of myself as an artist, not a business person. It's yeah. more fun as a marketer as an artist than a business person. Now, I like to tell designers that they're not allowed to present me anything that doesn't make them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And at the top, if I can start to do that, what I found is my brand starts to come alive. Yep. Because what I found is creatives optimize for approval, not impact. Exactly. Yep. And so if they know that, hey, you know, the boss is really risk averse, they're just going to give you the most risk averse creative that sucks yep. because who wants to go and redo all their work all the time? Yep. So I make people redo their work if it's not creative. And that's how I've been kind of able to like get there. But I was wanting to hear, what do you think about that idea? No, I, I totally agree. I think back to one of my favorite ads, display ads of all time was um, Domo. This was like 2012. They were running ads of, you know, kind of a guy in a suit and a tie, glasses, clearly, you know, conservative with a shocked look on his face. And the, and the headline was CFO porn. Um, and the, they were talking about BI tools, right? Yeah. <laughs> Right, but I still remember that ad. Like, guys, who's a real ad? Yep. Remember when the people used to do print ads, and there was like a copywriter, and then you had to actually say something that mattered. Something that mattered or got their attention. So yeah, we played around with some of it. So we'll do things like performance management is shit. What are you doing about it? Right, like kind of stuff like that. It's hard though, isn't it? It's funny how back in the day, advertising was more enjoyable to consume yeah right if i go back and i start to look at the work ogilvy or some of the people back in the day were doing and i love to get inspired by that i'm like damn i gotta step my game up you know what i mean like we're getting like digital because they didn't have all the data and if you think yeah. about it, when i talk to my creative team 
I'm like, hey, can we just do way more wild landing pages? They're like, I don't know how it's going to convert. Should we split test it? You see what I mean? Like we've like lowered our ceiling so much as marketers because we've become like finance people to a certain extent. You know what I mean? We're kind of like the finance department now where we're all, okay, what's the ROI of this? All right, we can't do any brand advertising because I can't attribute back to revenue. So I'm just going to spend only on direct response. We kind of do that. How are you fighting that at Kazoo to try to stay more creative and more aspirational? Yeah, and I think digital's caused a lot of that, right? Like we've over-focused on the tech and the data and not on the creative and the messaging. Um, and to some degree, there's format constraints and things like that, but but we've lost our way that in there. So if you believe, and I do, that most buyers will come to you almost fully informed about their decision, right? Like 60 oh, to yeah. 85%. <laughs> All the information's available for them at that point in time. Yeah. So the game of like, hey, I want to be there when they're ready to buy so I can capture it, um, changes significantly um, because you now have to have a preferred position when they arrive. Yeah. And so I, I honestly think like brand and B2B is more important than it's ever been. Um, and it's actually going to create winners and losers um, at the end of the day. Right. So whether you can justify it on MQLs or not, like who cares? Like you're actually not going to be in business if you don't do it. Um, and it's tough, right? Like I've talked to some of my peers who are like, oh, I, I bury my brand campaigns into my demand stuff so I don't have to show it to my board. Um, you know, kind of kind of weird behaviors like that. And you, I get it. Right. You're scratching your head going, you know, you have to do it, but you can't sell it. Um, at least uh, based on because what you're really hoping, right? And when you think about brand, if we as a, ditching the artist hat and putting the analyst hat on, right? Yeah. What, what we're doing when we do brand is we're saying that our lowest customer acquisition cost when we look at our channels is direct. It is for everybody. It always is. Direct is a black box though. Yeah. In the sense that we don't know what drives direct. And so there is no causation or correlation where we can say, due to brand, here's exactly what happened. I can prove it. Now you can say, Here's the amount of increase in brand impressions, and here's the amount of increase in direct conversions, which have resulted in SQLs, ops, and revenue. And you can tell a story, but I think that's my encouragement to everybody is like, try to measure brand by direct, and I think you can start to tell your story. I think it's that's the that's the, we try to measure brand to revenue instead of brand to direct to revenue. And I yeah. think that's how you can tell that story. Yeah, you can. Um, we look at brand clicks, you know, volume over time as well. Now, I think about brand is like three buckets. You can buy it, right? Like we can go do a site takeover. We can get our brand, but that's really about awareness. Um, maybe a yep. little bit of perception. You yep. can earn it, right? So you can go PR, you can create a community, social, like you can go create it. Um, yep. You know, so there's different ways to get there. And you got to kind of figure out like, you got to probably turn all the knobs. One of the things that is getting to a point where it's doable, like, running a longitudinal brand study like every year run a brand study um to like if you really care about brand um you should do that like get a baseline start running campaigns see where you're at continue to adjust because if you really say like and your point's right like brand is about you know significantly lower cac two three years from now that's what it's about that's what it is that's the play yeah yeah that's the play um you know and then so Put the actual metrics in place that show that what you're doing is working. Have the faith that ultimately the outcomes that you care about will happen. 
I love that. Now, last sour candy, my last question. Okay, Casey. Okay. Woo! Now, I can't help but notice that you must have done something smart slash clever slash wise in your career. Vista Group <laughs> seems to like you. So what I mean by that is you have had a good relationship with them, I would imagine, since your Marketo days. Yeah. And then you somehow magically end up at another Vista-backed company. So for all those young aspiring marketing leaders, how important is it to build relationships with your capital partners or to just be on their radar or have that for your career? In your opinion, like what can someone learn from that? Is there anything there? Am I just connecting dots that don't exist? Um, They definitely exist. And it's not whether it's like a P portfolio or venture capital or whatever, right? Like I I think there's a a common theme there of as leaders, whether it's exec level or senior level, we have a responsibility to our team to kind of shine the light on them, right? Yeah. Yeah, to be internal marketers of their contribution. Yeah, so I I consistently, you know, talk about the people on my team and what they're accomplishing and how good they are to the board of directors. At some point, they may want a different job. And, you know, I want Vista to be one of those avenues that they they have that they can go pursue that. Um, Because they've seen Jerry in, you know, two quarterly updates from KC. So Jerry's now on their radar. And then the CMO just left in one of their portfolio companies. They reach out to KC. Hey, you think Jerry would be interested? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So part of it's just, it's, you know, as a people leader, that's, it's, we're responsible for that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But also it's a small world, man. (laughs) Like like you have to pay attention to relationships. You can't burn bridges. Like you have to invest in that stuff. And, and to some degree, you know, it's, it's not a full on personal brand, but you almost have to think about it that a, a little ways, because even if it's not Vista, Vista knows somebody who knows somebody. Right. And they all talk. They right. all talk. They all know each other. They'll all do back channel. Um, so you really have to kind of proactively manage your network and your career over time. I love that. Casey, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been amazing. Your insights. The openness, I really appreciate it. Uh, someone wants to follow along, Casey, with your journey. What's the best way for them to kind of uh, follow you? Yeah, um, definitely hit me up on LinkedIn, Casey Carey. Um, if you want to reach out to me, if you have questions or want to talk about some things, uh, Casey.Carey at kazooHR.com is okay. awesome. Um, I had a point in my career where I'm trying to spend more time giving back. So yeah. uh, feel free to take me up on that offer. I love it. Well, Casey, thank you so much for being on the show. And for everyone else, that's Sour and Sass. And uh, have a great week. Thanks, all. Thanks.